Welcome into episode 41 of the Sources Say podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR podcast network. I'm your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio, and today I'm happy to be joined once again by my friends Travis Graff and David Sisk of Cats Illustrated. Travis, what's going on, man? How are you? Oh, just a big day in BBN, baby. That's uh, that's a very good way to put it. David, how, how are you? What's going on, man? Man, did I miss something? Uh, I didn't know what we were going to talk about tonight. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. You, if, if you don't know what's going on, you're definitely living under a rock. Today was a very, very, very big day uh, in the, for, with the Kentucky basketball program as Wake Forest star center Olivier Saar officially announces his commitment to the University of Kentucky. Uh, obviously, huge news. We've talked about him a little bit. Uh, you know, honestly, this was a we, we kind of talked about him in passing as a kind of a hypothetical situation saying, okay, maybe if he does put his name in the transfer portal, we could. Uh, he puts his name in the transfer portal on Friday, doesn't officially get his he, – he announces his transfer Friday, doesn't officially get in until Tuesday, and then Wednesday afternoon he's a, he commits to Kentucky. So obviously this moved really, really fast, and we are here to break down everything, the ins and outs of it, how it came to fruition, what he's like as a player, everything you need to know about Olivier Saar, we have it covered for you. Uh, so before we get into the timeline of it all and how it all came together uh, I want the three of us to kind of sit down and, and talk about Olivier as a player first and what what he's going to bring to the table on the court uh, so looking at the numbers average 13.7 points 9.0 rebounds 1.2 blocks per game shot 53% from the floor uh, all ACC third team runner-up for most improved player in the ACC 11 double doubles had a 20.13 rebound game against Pitt 30.17 rebounds against Notre Dame, 25 points and a win over a top 10 ranked Duke team, 21 and 13 against a ranked Arizona team. You go down the list, his numbers are ridiculous, especially going into ACC play. He just turned it up to, you know, turn it up to a, a brand new level uh, to close out the season. So David, I want you to start this thing off by breaking down just who in the heck did who in the heck did Kentucky just sign to join the program next season? One thing I think you got to remember is the numbers, as impressive as they are, uh, you've got to take them into context because he played on a team that was very undisciplined offensively, who was was guard-centered uh, guys who didn't like to pass the ball, and he didn't get a whole lot of touches. I've got a story coming up with Terrence Oglesby um, – former player at Clemson played professionally for seven or eight years who, who uh, is involved in ACC media now watched him play several times. And, you know, that's one thing he talked about. He said it was, if you look at his numbers getting better as the year went, it's because he started getting touches in the last few games. And he said, you know, we felt like on a structure team, I got the ball to him. He could, uh, he could have done that all year. Uh, you know, look at the games, like, like you say, scoring 20, 25, 30 points each game. Um, uh, you're looking at offensively a guy who's ultra skilled. You always think that when you think European post players, uh, just a lot of skill can step out, shoot to three, really good in the face up game, probably best around 15 feet or so in the mid post. I think he fits in well with what Kentucky has on the perimeter of their type of guards. Uh, he's not going to be a guy uh, with a back to the bucket. And I've said all along, they don't want that. 
I, I think they need a guy that can step out, create space, you know, can attack from about 15 feet. But it gives room for B.J. Boston and uh, also for Terrence Clark and guys like that to get to the rim. Defensively, he's not an ultra great shot blocker, but he has uh, he had some fluidity to him. He can move. He's seven feet. He's long. And Terrence told me, uh, you guys will get to see him in person before I will. That you're really going to be taken aback with how big he is. Uh, a, a big trunk to him. Uh, uh, big in the butt. Wide shoulders. Seven feet, uh, two fifty-five. Just a really, really uh, a big player has a lot of size and length to him, so he can rebound and and he can uh, block shots. Uh, weakness, uh, uh, you know, not uh, back to the bucket player, but I don't know that that is a weakness. But uh, defensively, he's not going to be Nick Richards and EJ Montgomery, where he can step out on the floor and switch. They're going to have to hedge more with him. Uh, they're going to have to play more, rotate, and help. Probably not going to guard uh, point guards and two guards the way Nick Richards did. But, man, it's a great pickup, and he's a guy who, who uh, you know, national championship and final four talk can begin because they've got him on the team. Travis, I know you tweeted earlier uh, that, that there's already some speculation of 40-0 and talk going on. Is, <laughs> it, is, that, is that happening? Yes, uh, the 40-0 talk has already began on Twitter and on message boards. Uh, it's that time of the year, fellas. It's, it's a much time to be a Kentucky fan. Last week we were talking about, there's Kentucky fans talking about, like, are we going to be wasting Terrence Clark and B.J. Boston's year uh, due to lack of big man after missing on harms, and rightfully so. But looking back at it, after all the dust is cleared, I think guys, including myself, tried to make, Harms be a fit just because he provided height and length and shot blocking and some stuff that Kentucky needed, but he wasn't a sure thing and never had proven to be a high profile guy. And I think that we tried to build him up into something that Olivier Saar is. Olivier Saar is what people are hoping to get out of Matt Harms. Like, like you were talking about all the, the game logs, the 30 and 17 games, the uh, 21 and 13 games at seven foot. He is still shooting 76% from the free throw line. Something that Cal Perry is big on oh, last yeah. year showed you how, how many close games you can win by just being a consistent free throw shooting team uh, per 40 minutes. He averages um, 13 and a half rebounds per game and 21 points per game uh, last season. Uh, still only 1.7 blocks per 40 minutes. Normally out of seven footers, you would see better numbers than that, but his rebounding rate is so high that it'll make up for Kentucky's overall length next year is probably going to be, and athleticism is going to be nice. So you're not going to need him to swat a ton of shots. He can, but he's not really an above the rim athlete. He's talented, uh, like David said, up to 15 feet. Doesn't really step out and shoot threes at all, but he, uh, but he can definitely alter shots at the rim, and I think he's just what the doctor ordered because he's a guy that we were talking back to Harms. Harms is a guy that I don't know how many sets you could have ran for him because everybody loves knows Cal Perry loves running his offense through a post touch, mm-hmm. and Sar is a guy that can go to work down there and operate and get his own shot. I don't know if Harms could have done that consistently. I don't know if anybody else on the roster uh, for Kentucky could have done that consistently next year, and. When you look at the other options that Kentucky has, I think that SAR was the biggest need, and I'll get to this here in a minute, but I heard that 
uh, obviously he was the number one option for Kentucky uh, as of a couple days ago. But you look like DeAndre Williams. DeAndre Williams is skinny, 6'10", kind of people around him trying to push that he's a three and he's a four, kind of like Keon Brooks. Yeah. Probably not as high of a ceiling. So you look at Sar. Sar was something that nobody on Kentucky's roster this season compared to. And I think that he fits like a glove and it'll allow Kentucky to bring in somebody like Anselm and work Frank Anselm and work them along and bring, uh, bring him up to speed behind a guy like Sar. But I'll go ahead. We'll, we'll talk about the recruitment here in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think you guys both bring up a, a good points talking about, about Nick Richards, just a, about how this not necessarily that they're the same player, but in terms of just being an anchor down low where you know, you know, there's just that proven, consistent product. I think that's what f- fans are going to be most excited for when it comes to this this newest edition. I think that, you know, they have the, their, their slight differences, but just in terms of knowing that you're going to get a 14-9 and nine type guy every time he steps on the floor, there's just so much value in that. Think about all the times at the offense last year. It, it just it just seemed like nothing was working. They couldn't get the ball in the basket. You know, it, was, it, it They were really struggling on the floor. Nick Richards oftentimes ended up being kind of that, that savior for him to kind of, you know, get, get a few shots going, you know, make a, a, a clutch block here and there, just kind of that, that stable force to allow everything else to go into motion and then ultimately, you know, put Kentucky ahead to win games. He was that stable Terrence force. Terrence told me, if I can interrupt for a second, Terrence told me, we, we talked about this a lot, the story's coming up, that he said, listen, he's not a, he's not a Nick Richards uh, you know, defensively, he's different. Not probably not quite the defender Nick was, but offensively, Nick's not in a ballpark with him because he said he can step out and shoot three, and he shot the three over people in Atlantic Coast Conference. His comparisons were, he said, kind of to a Robert Ory, mm-hmm. as far as being able to step out and, and the big game Bob. You know, that that's a would be a great one, but. One that he really kind of compared him to was with Zach Collins that played at Gonzaga and yeah. now with Portland Trailblazers. So yeah, I, just, like, I just don't see that from three-pointer, though, because he only attempted like .2. Like, first career, he's averaging uh, .6 per game as a, and shooting like 23%. I think he definitely has the stroke, though. You look at his mid-range stroke, his mid-range stroke is nice. I think he could definitely step out and uh, improve on that number. I think that'll be something that Kentucky probably sold him on. Come out, come here. We'll work on your stretch big game as well. Well, it may come down to what Wake Forest just didn't do anything on offense, and you know Kelly Quinlan talked about that last week. Uh, um, when I talked to him in a story, he's the rivals publisher, uh, but but Terrence kind of doubled down on that this week. That you know it was guards dribbling around. They really didn't do much. They just dribbled around, and somebody threw up a thirty-five footer. So you know, I, I don't. I, I didn't want, not watch them enough to really say I know this is a fact, but it just sounds like from what I'm hearing, you know, he never was able to get involved in a pick and pop game, or if he did stretch them out, he never did get the ball. Yeah, I mean, it, just in terms of instant impact, guys. I mean, you, it's, 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 it, this you can't emphasize enough how massive it is to get you know to to see what is leaving the program this this offseason and to see what's coming in with Isaiah Jackson, Lance Ware, Keon Brooks being a you know small ball four to to have that 
little depth down low and so few options in the grand scheme of things before this this option kind of came to fruition. I mean, the, the the night and day difference between just last week when we did this show going, shoot, is McCurr maker the answer? Are we going to have to, you know, give a bunch of minutes to Frank Anselm next year? I mean, you know, the, the, there, I mean, there was a lot of doubt just this time last week and just to kind of uh, completely replace that high – impact, you know, major contributor, veteran leader, that type of guy. I mean, it's just, you know, night and day. I mean, that is that is just huge, huge, huge for the program. Okay. As for the commitment itself, uh, it's it's fairly obvious that from the second SAR entered the transfer portal that Kentucky was going to make him their top priority. I mean, shoot, I'd argue that the fans let him know that they were, you know, you, he was their top priority before he even made it into the transfer portal, um, you know, flooding his social media and commenting on all of his, all of his posts and all that. Um, so there was, there was speculation that there was a ma- immediate mutual interest. David, I know we talked about it behind the scenes beforehand, but you were the first person to publicly break that news that contact had been made. Now that the dust has settled a little bit, uh, when did when did that initial contact uh take place between Kentucky and, and SARS camp? I don't know the exact time uh, that it happened, uh, but what I do know is I got a call from a, a publisher um, on the Rivals Network, and I didn't call him. He contacted me, and he said, just, and these were his words, I said, you can take this for whatever it's worth, but I thought you might want to know. He said, I just spoke to a, a coach in the ACC, and he told me, and I'm going to say something here that I'm not even going to sit on our message boards because I, I, I modified it. I, I didn't want to I didn't want to give the full money here because, you know, you, you put stuff out and you can't reel it back. But he said, um, I talked to an to an ACC coach, and he said that uh, Olivier is going to uh, Kentucky. Uh, really, head coach or assistant coach? And he said this was a uh, this is a head coach. And uh, he said there may be an option that he goes back to Wake Forest. He's also you know could look professionally maybe overseas, but you know it it. From what I've told, it's going to be one of those three. But but his words were he's, he thinks he's going to go to Kentucky. I didn't even put that up on our boards. I just put down Kentucky was in a good spot because you guys know you put that up, man, and then you're sitting around worrying from the rest of. It, 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 <laughs> and you told you told me and Justin that a couple of days ago. Yeah. Before you before you even posted anything on that, so yeah, yeah, and, and that it can get out of hand in a hurry. So I was very cautious about it, but um, um, yeah, the, but we we definitely knew the contact had been made, and uh, I thought that was verified a little bit. You know, there's going to be the infamous uh, talk that Steve Forbes had with with Sar, but even in that, you know, when he said, "Why would you want to go somewhere like Kentucky?" and there really weren't even a whole lot of reports out about Kentucky being in contact with him. That tells you there that Coach Forbes knew that uh, Sar and Kentucky, and I think Travis has got a lot to add to this. You know that that Sar and Kentucky were pretty serious. Yeah, Travis. You know, on that note, what you know, how fast do you think this thing came together behind the scenes, and and just how early do you think Kentucky knew that they had him? I think that. 
this has been working behind the scenes for uh, quite a while now, at least the, ever since it was rumored that he was going to be entering the transfer portal. And I'll tell you what, Kentucky was keeping this thing silent. There was, it was radio silence on Kentucky's end for the most part. The only thing that I heard leading up to it was something that I heard uh, two nights ago that I posted this morning. Luckily, I got it on before he posted, yeah. before he committed. I put that I was hearing that the Kentucky's main plan right now was, which was a couple days ago, was to get Sar on board and then go after Anselm. Mm-hmm. That, th- that those two were what they felt would be the best fit to round out this roster. I know DeAndre Williams was an option, still is an option, um, but I don't know if what he wants and needs is going to be able to be given in a place like Kentucky. He wants the ball. He's not going to be the featured player next year. Uh, he wants to be more of a wing player at 6'10". Cal Perry's going to put him on the block for the most part, let him uh, put him in the corner as well, but I think what he wants to showcase wouldn't be he won't be able to next year on next year's team, and hell, he might not even start over Keon Brooks. So that makes complete that makes complete sense. Whenever they said that about Frank Anselm, I posted that early this morning, and I think that, like I said, we had all heard stuff about Harms, and I think that after the Harms stuff went wrong, I think that they're like, all right, let's play this one close to the best. Yeah, and because that was the only thing I'd heard. I'd never heard a uh, day. I'd never heard. I knew UK was in pursuit. I'd heard that, but I'd never heard the seriousness. It was just, like I said, radio silence on their end. So, yeah, I, I think I think you bring up a good point because the the one of my main contacts that usually is you know pretty you know cautious but still but but still open to to some level of communication kind of shut down as soon as the SAR stuff started talking. Wasn't able to confirm. If, when, what level of contact had been made? Um, I mean, it, 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 you could just tell that there were there were instructions from up top to make sure that this does not leak out. That that how fast things were moving. They did not want the 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 public to know that they wanted this to to move fast and to get this thing wrapped up and move on to to the next step. I mean, this was. I mean, I, I think. Well, he had already talked about how. Nuts, essentially. I'll I'll say it for him. How nuts the UK fans are, <laughs> and if it, if anything did else had leaked on that to give Kentucky fans any more of an inkling that he's going to come. Oh my God! He already had to turn off the comments on yeah. his uh, on his Instagram and close that's, the end. That's one thing too, and and um, my wife is just and she loves it, but she's just she can't believe that Kentucky fans are into it as much as they are. And and but she loves it though because she she's just kind of the same way. Uh, but I, I have the, I have a feeling like whenever I think I was thinking about this earlier, a good metaphor for Kentucky is like when John Calipari is show is trying to show off the program. It's like he's he's walking out to the end of his sidewalk to bring in this house guest to this huge mansion, and he's got like three barking dogs that are like huge pit bulls out in the front yard. And Calipari's like, don't mind them. And, that, yeah. and that's that's UK fan. <laughs> <laughs> but I had I told her because I, I, I remember Friday week ago, I, that's when I had uh, kind of tweeted what's when SAR was was announced that he was going to transfer, and I put something on Twitter that um, this might this is going to be a name that Kentucky fans are you know better look at, better expect that there's going to be noise over this one. And I'm not going to say it was the first one, but it was one of the first ones. And then I looked up and 
there's so many likes and retweets and all that stuff. And then they're starting to talk about people blowing his DMs up. And my first thought was, why in the world does he have a DM on his yeah. Twitter open? You know, and but I told my wife, I said, man, I said, if he gets cold feet on this where, where he's not, he's scared of Kentucky because of all the contact and stuff. And I feel like we put the tweet up, had anything to do with that. I, I, I'll go and hide him somewhere. Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it was, yeah, I, there was a, a little sense of, of nervousness, like, man, I, I'm, I'm worried that that's going to be what turns, turns him off. And, and, you know, I think there was some kind of speculation on Twitter, like fan, you know, fans going, guys, shut up. He's, he's onto us. You don't, you know, don't, don't let him, you know, see the true side of us yet. Like it was that you could tell that there was some, some speculation on that, on their side that they certainly, uh, uh, didn't want to push him away knowing how important he is. Um, you know, on that note, uh, you know, kind of the, the back and forth between, um, you know, Wake Forest and trying to – that dynamic of trying to – them trying to keep keep him, Kentucky, in pursuit of him. Wake Forest coach Steve Forbes definitely made headlines when he went on a radio show and threw a pretty solid jab at Kentucky. We talked about it. We hinted at it just a little bit ago. But, you know, said the exact quote was, why would you go to Wake for three years, put all that time in for a prestigious degree – and end up getting your degree from a place like Kentucky. And things just kind of unraveled and went out of hand very, very quickly after that. Um, you know, we don't need to talk about if we thought it was disrespectful or anything like that. I think we all know that, A, it was a slight jab, and, and B, that people have already talked about it, you know, the insides and outs of it um, on social media, various radio radio shows in the last day. But I am interested in the timing of the comments now that we – do know that he committed less than 24 hours after that fact. Travis, uh, do you think that he knew at that time that Olivier was either leaning toward Kentucky or that, you know, or is it just an honest point? Like, what, what do you think, you know, now knowing what you know, what really went in into that radio appearance? Now, a lot of y'all aren't going to want to hear what I'm about to say here, but Mark Ennis was 100% right on Twitter today. He said that this, he already knew that Sar was going to go to Kentucky and that this was a ply for pretty much the fans to get behind him and kind of play that card whenever, like, oh, I don't know why that kid would do that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think he played that card perfectly. But I tell you what, that is such a goober statement <laughs> by their coach. I think that once you start playing academics, when you're talking high-level basketball, you're already dead in the water. When academics is the first thing that you're going to. And I tell you what, I've lost brain cells watching that coach announcement video that they made. Did you see that? Oh, it was, it Did was, see that? Oh, it was so cringeworthy. Oh, oh my God. Gosh. I, was, I felt like I was watching – Two middle schoolers flirting or something, something like it's something super cringeworthy. I mean, the the low budget mask, the the you know them throwing it down. I, I, I talked to the board of trustees. That's how he started the video or something. Ugh. He said something like that. God, like, oh my god! Like, imagine being like Flores. Yeah, it, it, it was very, very, very cringy. David, did you, you know that was the AD Tennessee fired over uh, because he was going to hire Greg Schiano, right? Yeah, I I do now. Yeah. John Kurt, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the one Clay Travis started fire, firestorm over. Gosh, 
David, what I, I know you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but talk to me about that timing. Do you think that there was anything to it? Do you think that he had he had already known that 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 recruitment was over and he was doing a last ditch effort? Or, or I just what? think he was giving it a pit. I've known State Forbes for a while, and um, and I'm gonna say this: I, I like him. I really do. <laughs> now, not because of it. I, I've known him well before this, uh, but. Hey, I've said all along, you know, I, I grew up in East Tennessee. And I, I spent a lot of time at East Tennessee State, Johnson City. And I, 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 I'll pull for that team on that level and that program. And I've talked to him a lot of times before they in tournaments and before that at other places. And one thing I've liked about him, he's not politically correct. And if you want an honest answer – uh, uh, I, he'll give you one. I, I've I've heard him talk about Bruce Pearl before. I think my jaw just hit the floor when he talked. He, <laughs> he's going to tell you what's on his mind. So, um, I think that a lot of that stuff is refreshing in a way. But I just feel like on this deal, he uh, he was going to try to he, he like you said he knew he was in a crunch here and. He was just going to come out and, and try to use every bit of ammunition that he could. You know, it, it's going to be scorched earth. And I do think the academic part of it, of Wake Forest, is going to be interesting because um, I've even got friends that, that really like him who are, are, are worried for him because of taking the Wake Forest job because they don't know that he's how good of a fit this is going to be because, you know, Wake Forest is bow ties, private school. Uh, uh, really kind of an old South private school type. I had a guy tell me today, it's really hard to tell the difference between Wake Forest and Furman. And Forbes has been public school, uh, Coach Juco. Yeah. And he's built his programs around transfers and junior college players. And, and, and academics has never been a big issue. And now he's going to a place where, you know, he's trying to play that card. And it, it's totally out of character for what he's been used to. So, uh, I think it was an awkward attempt by a, a coaches come in to cupboards bare, and he's at a, a totally different place than he's ever been. Yeah, and I, I will say that uh, that on Kentucky side of things, they didn't take it as this huge stab in the back that I think the general public made it out to be. I think fans kind of made a bigger deal about it than I think the Kentucky coaching staff. Uh, and I don't think it's not, I don't think it's necessarily because they agreed with Kentucky being an inferior academic institution because they, I don't think they genuinely do, but I think it was more so that that was the biggest hurdle for them to clear to get SAR. Uh, you know, they knew they one on all accounts when it comes to you know just being better at basketball better facilities better coach better track record with bigs and just the flat out opportunity to win they knew they had all those those checks marked but could they top that familiarity and the comfort with the program and and you know him being there for three years especially being so close to a degree from an institution like like wake and I think Wake side kind of overreacted to, to, you know, Wake being like, you know, this Harvard or Yale. I mean, that's not – they're 
a, a, a high-level academic institution, but let's not treat them like an Ivy League school. I think there's a, a, a kind of a delusion on that side of things from, from their perspective. Um, but I think in the wise words of DeMarcus Cousins, this ain't no spelling bee. Uh, I think SARS going to Kentucky entirely for basketball purposes, and that's it. I think it's, you know, he wants to play in the NBA, plain and simple, and that's what it boiled down to. He, you know, when, when he made his, his public announcement, he mentioned that in – in, in his little, you know, paragraph or whatever saying, you know, I appreciate what this school has provided me for three years. You know, this was, you know, some of the best time of my life, but it was time for me to make this next step forward. And that step forward is I need to be at a place that can push me to my, you know, professional future. I appreciate. Well, he, Go for he it. went to Wake Forest for one. I'm sorry. He went to Wake Forest for one reason. And I think, I don't think I've said this on here. I don't think we've covered SAR. I wasn't on last week. I don't. I don't think we talked about SAR since uh, the last time I was on here. Nope. But um, when when he came out of France, he had narrowed it, if I'm not mistaken, to, to Wake Forest, Cal, and Vanderbilt. I think there may have been another one in. But I know that was the, the big three. And uh, obviously, I did some work with the Vanderbilt side on, on basketball recruiting and. He went to Wake Forest for one reason, and that was Danny Manning. Uh, and he believed Danny Manning could could make him uh, could make him the best he could be. And uh, you know, even talking with Kelly Quinlan uh, last week, Kelly told me he said, "Look, I don't think he was a very good head coach. I was wondering what in the world he was doing most of the time. Said the offensive setup was horrible. He couldn't control the team, but." There was one thing he could do. He was a very good post developer, and he could make big men better. And when he left, I mean, I don't know how much familiarity there was with Wake Forest because the reason he came there was gone, and either way it went, he was going to be playing for a new head coach as a senior. Yeah. Yeah. Something I'm looking forward to, I think it's going to be cool as hell to watch the transformation. By the – let's see. By the second month of the season – that man is going to have a knockdown right hand over left shoulder hook shot, the patented Kenny Payne post move that he teaches all of his bigs. And that is what's going to get him a bid second round or higher selection next year when he wasn't on draft boards this season. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, I mean, the, the, the proof is in the pudding. Whether the, the recruiting, you know, product has shown lately with, you know, in the front court, the proof is in the pudding that you go to Kentucky and you are going to develop in the front court under Kenny Payne like nowhere else in the country. I mean, that is, I mean, you go to Kentucky to develop as a big man. And that's, you know, the, he, he wants to have that one last-ditch effort at, a, you know, at college to develop for that NBA and to be better prepared, you know, to be an instant impact guy in the NBA versus, you know, you know, playing the G League and all that. He wants that that immediate success by, you know, changing his scenery and he did it in the best way possible. You know, he knew that's where he wanted to go. There was, you know, it was a pretty cut and dry decision. He he had the opportunity to go back to Wake. Uh, you know, the professional option was still there. The likes of Duke and, you know, Florida, some other big name schools all reached out to him. But I think, you know, th- considering he was only officially in the transfer portal starting yesterday to the official decision coming Wednesday afternoon, it's very apparent that this was a long time coming, at least internally on his side of things, knowing that he wanted to end up at Kentucky. Okay. Now that we – Can I say one other thing? Yeah, go One other quick thing. Terrence Oglesby thinks that, that the guy I was talking to, to play to Clemson uh, that I was talking about earlier – 
he thinks he's talented enough to go uh, in a draft next year in the 20s in the first round. He, th- he says the only reason he wouldn't be a lottery is because of his age. He said if he had the talent now and size and everything, his 18-year-old that he has now, he'd be a lottery. So he said that was a thing working against him. And one other interesting thing, too, uh, uh, talking about Danny Manning, um, he would have probably gone out and gone pro. And what I heard, Danny Manning talked him into coming back for a senior year at Wake Forest. That's how close they were. And uh, then he comes back, and uh, it goes past the entry dread deadline into the NBA draft, and then Manning gets fired. If they would have fired Danny Manning right after the season, which I think a lot of us thought might happen, Kentucky might not ever had that shot. He might have went on to the pros. Yeah, and I think that's a very good lead into the big million-dollar question. Will he even be eligible to play college basketball next year? You know, we can talk about how good he is and how great of a fit it is until we're blue in the face, but if he can't play because the NCAA denies his waiver request, it's all a moot point. So, David, we've talked about this in depth on the phone in recent days. Uh, Where do you think things stand uh, with the waiver process and the odds that Olivier does win his case? Do you think that the NCAA will now be lenient with, you know, everything going on? I want to tonight to really go through and when I have some time and go back and look at some transfers uh, who left because their coach were fired and see exactly how that turned out. Um, I have spoken with individual college coaches who uh, even beforehand when we talked about SAR like last week, some thought he would get uh, instant eligibility, some didn't. There were more that thought he would. I think that's in the majority. Uh, but in the minority part of it, uh, you know, there's a difference of national letter of intent when a player comes out of high school and, and an individual that I spoke with who was who thought it might not happen was was he said it's just easier to do it for kids who are coming out of high school than it is for ones who are staying, but I or ones who've already been there rather. But um I would have to go back and look. Like I said, most of them think that he's going to be granted eligibility. And I think they can get that one done behind the scenes. Um, it, it With everything going on now, the one-time deal didn't pass, but they've got so much on their plate uh, with COVID-19, NCAA does. I, I don't know that, that how much they want to find all these. That if coaches are fired – that guys can go on and go to other places. And, you know, Wake Forest is going to have about 10 of them out there floating around. (laughs) So, you know, we're going to see. Personally, I lean toward him playing at Kentucky next year. I'd be ineligible. I I just couldn't imagine a little coach being fired uh, going into senior season and not happening. Uh, Travis, we, we've talked behind the scenes. There's one thing in particular I want you to say on this show that, that we've talked about. What do you think the chances are that we see Saar on the floor this season? Well, it's kind of trying to throw a dart to see what the NCAA is going to do consistently, so I'm not going to speak on their behalf. But I talked to somebody close to the Kentucky program that said that, quote, we would not bring him in if he was going to sit. And that might be overly optimistic on that part, on their part, but that's what they told me. And then John Hill I, had – I believe that, Travis. I don't yeah, have I mean, any input on but, that, but I thought that. Calipari's just too smart. But then again, you know how Calipari works. He's all about the – He's all about the kids. I could see him being like, all right, well, if you're not going to get a waiver, 
Well, actually, that wouldn't make sense because he could have went back to Wake Forest and showcased everything. What I was going to say was, just spitballing here, that we can come here and develop you better than you would develop at Wake Forest. If you can't play, you can go professionally overseas and, like you talked about, get paid after a couple months of Kentucky development. But I'm, that was just spitballing. But John Hale said something earlier that I thought was really good point. He said, it's our specific case based on what he told ESPN is that Danny Manning convinced him not to enter the draft when Wake fired Manning after Sark couldn't change his mind. So, yeah, I think they, if they played that card, I think that that's their so, little ticket right there. So then, and I know that's true for a fact because I, I was told that last week by Kelly Quinlan, and, and I didn't even know that John had said that. I've not even read the ESPN, what he said on ESPN. I've not even read it. But I know for a fact, like I said, that's what Kelly told me last week. And that's what I was referring to a while ago, that you know, he talked him into coming back. And then, you know, he got fired after it was too late to, to declare for the NBA. Yeah, that's 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 what Sar said in that interview. He said I had like 24 hours. He said, you know, literally, the, you know, you kind of mentioned this earlier. This wasn't you know Danny Manning getting fired as soon as their last game, you know, back in March. I mean, this is, I mean, it's been well over a month since they'd played their last game. They waited all the way up until this deadline. Danny Manning convinced had, him to return. They had so many transfers and. When Chandy Brown, you can go back and look at the timelines. When Chandy Brown, uh, Trent, and who's really good, transferred out of there, that was just about every player that he had brought in over a two or three year span. I think like eight or nine out of ten players, and they said that was a straw that broke the camel's back, and that was like two weeks ago, and that's when they rounded up the money to to, to get him gone. That if Brown hadn't transferred out. He'd probably still be there, but they were just losing every player they had. Yeah, I, I think it's been really frustrating watching the national media, how they've kind of all circled together in this big, like, you know, you know, coming together saying, oh, the NCAA has never granted immediate eligibility to kids due to their coaches being fired. Why would this be a case different? It's like because – this isn't like this is not a cut and dry. My coach was fired. Argument. I mean, this was. I mean, he literally said he told Danny Manning, "I am going to go to the NBA." Danny Manning argued for him and said, "Hey, I really think you should come back for one final year at Wake Forest." He goes, "All right, I'm going to trust my longtime head coach in this decision." He gets fired. I mean, he literally said it was like I had 24 hours to make a decision. I didn't have enough time to even look through my options and say, "Okay, do I want to, you know, put my name in the draft and all that?" I mean, this this is a timing NBA issue more than it is my coach was fired. It was the fact that he didn't give that opportunity to. I mean, his hand was forced. If I think Sar's argument is that his fate was decided for him, I think it's a a very very valid argument. Um, you know, the you know, with their national media saying that it's, you know, there there isn't a precedent with this. How the looking back in the history of kids that have have, you know, decided to transfer and put in waivers for that, how they haven't been granted in the past. It's like okay, yes, in a normal year, most of the time, that's not how this would go, but. They've also, you know, we're in unprecedented times right now. Unprecedented decisions are being made and have to be made right now. It's like, yeah, they've also never canceled a freaking NCAA tournament before due to a global pandemic. Like, this is just different times. In a usual instance, 
maybe you know maybe he wouldn't get this but because of everything else going on and you know I, I feel like now more than ever there's internal pressure to do right by these kids and I mean I know that's saying a lot because considering the NCAA has been so wishy-washy about everything but now more than ever it does feel like they have pressure on them to make these kids happy and do what's best for them you know considering how things ended last season so with everything being said on top of the fact that his argument is just valid more than anything and you know the fact that this rule's already in the works. They're trying. It's not about if this thing is going to pass the instant, immediate, you know, waiver transfer waiver. That's going to pass at some point. It's just about when. And the fact that that's already in the works. You know, are they really going to nitpick about specific waivers right now? And you know what? You know, oh, oh, how bad is it that this kid that this kid didn't get an opportunity to go back? You know, it. I, I don't think when it boils down to it, I don't think that they're going to care as much as they used to in the past because they have much more on their hands. Like, oh, I don't know, trying to determine if college basketball is even going to be played in the first place. So yeah, I, I I think when it when it boils down to it, the NCAA is going to say screw it. Anybody that has been going through this stuff has a, a somewhat legitimate argument on their side. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna pass it. I know Kyle Tucker came out in the last couple hours and said the people on Wake side of things don't believe Sar is gonna get receive immediate eligibility, and that's another thing. How much are they gonna be willing to help considering all this side stuff going on? I don't know. There's so much stuff going on outside of things. Well, but- he can't. Like I said, Steve Forbes can't. He, he doesn't need that firestorm right now. Yeah. Now, you talk about the media doing an about base because, like you say, right now they're lining up against Kentucky a little bit. But if Wake Forest doesn't release him, and you see it, you can go back and look at other instances where coaches didn't release players, and the national media came down on them. I mean, yeah. You talk about a firestorm, he would get it, and, and, and the media would do an about face. Uh, but another thing is, you know, you talked about doing what's best for the kid. I'm not convinced that Danny Manning really did that. And this is just speculation. I'm not saying, but but uh, hear me out here because very rarely will you hear a coach tell a player, hey, man, come back. Yeah. They're like, you know, if you're ready to go, we'll support you. And, and But – he hasn't come back, and he already has this on his shoulders about players leaving. And I, he, he, he's got through the season by the skin of his teeth, and I just wonder if he felt like, too, that if Olivier Sarr gets away, like, you know, that that fire might really come clear to what he was hoping. So I, I, I'm wondering if, if he's pulling a whole Olivier Sarr, please come back and be able to save his skin. Yeah, I think another thing to factor in is all of the, you know, Calipari being so gracious in terms of, of, you know, other past players that have transferred out, the Jamal Bakers of the world vouching for him. Why the hell did Jamal Baker get eligibility at Arizona, you know, immediately right away? That could be a major argument for Calipari. He'd be like, dude, I have gone, you know, I've let anybody transfer out whenever, you know, whenever they wanted to try to help them get immediate eligibility wherever they've gone. I vouched for them for the love of God, give me this opportunity with this. I've done my part. Please, can you guys throw me one bone? Shoot, Johnny Juzang's leaving in the portal right now, trying to go back home for immediate eligibility. Calipari's already said he's going to vouch for him and say, please, he deserves to go home. He wants to be you know, back home with his family. He, he, if there's anything that, that is working out in Calipari's end is that he's done more than enough behind the scenes to try to uh, you know, do his part 
for this time when this day doesn't inevitably, you know, did inev- inevitably come for him to need, you know, the NBA, NCAA to scratch his back a little bit. Okay. You know something that we haven't talked about? This isn't waiver talk, but something that will get Kentucky fans really excited is that he is arguably the number one grad transfer in the country. That's equivalent to a top 10 to 15 recruit. And you will know a school that has had reached out to uh, – Jack and I had heard this earlier, and then Eric Bossy came on, Cat Silshade, with a lot of insider information on the whole SAR situation. And he told me that um, – Jack and I both heard that Duke had reached out to Sar. So he picked, he picked Kentucky. Uh, Bossy said that he knew that he's going to Kentucky from the jump. And so he didn't even listen to what Duke had to say. So that's going to make Kentucky fans feel even more grateful and get off of some of the coaches' backs whenever it comes to recruiting misses and realize what just happened here. What yeah. All of this goes down to it's pretty much beating out a team that uh, put – Being out a team like Duke for a player that they wanted, that's the equivalent of a top 10 high school player. Speaking of top 10 high school players, the uh, 24-7 updated rankings came out today, and Duke does not have any of those said players, while Kentucky has two, the only school in the nation that uh, can say they had such a feat. So if you want more reasons to, you know, Kentucky coaching staff to pat themselves on the back after a very impressive day today, that is another thing to, to look at. Another thing I was going to add real quick about Sar is he has a younger brother that is going to be a – I think he's going to be a freshman or he is a freshman He is a school. freshman, yep. Uh, he's over in France, and he's already like – they say that he's like much better than his brother was at this stage. He's like 6'10". Already he's 6'10". Going to play, he's going to play for uh, Real Madrid over there for a couple of years. And then – like, and they're not the professional team, but they're – what. Uh, like prep teams, yeah. essentially, uh, their club system. And then he's going to come and play in the U.S. for a couple of seasons. Now, if this can get an end with somebody that's better than Saar four years from now, I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about it. Saar was seen as a – wasn't he a – I think he was a four-star on Rivals coming out of high school as it was. And I believe – I read somewhere, maybe maybe Bossy said it, that he was supposed to be – a five-star level that he actually thought that he was a five-star level talent at some point. He, so, he didn't have a it, ranking. He had a star. It's kind of like Kareem Maine was at uh, first, yeah. uh, before they started ranking Maine. He's, he was 6'10", uh, 215 pounds coming out of the uh, class of 2017, committed to Wake Forest in uh, April of 2017 and picked them over. He also visited uh, Cal, Central Florida, and Vanderbilt. Yeah. It broke Bryce Drew's heart when they didn't get him. And I remember having, when they were in the midst of recruiting him, after he took a visit, official visit to Vanderbilt, they were hoping that he would either commit on a trip or that he would commit within the next 48 hours. And I remember having a, uh, talking to one of the coaches like, oh, probably the next Friday, and I mean, they were really heartbroken that he did not um, commit to them. Uh, and because I remember them saying that he is an NBA player, you know, he's a pro. He is, I mean, they had him on a level of a can't miss NBA guy. And say what you want to about Bryce Drew, but, you know, he signed um, Darius Garland, Simi Chateau, um, uh, Saban Lee. And um, 
oh man, the shooter absolutely slipped my mind. Um, that's going to be drafted in the first round. All within uh, uh, two classes, um, you know, four oh, NBA Saban, guys. Right? Yeah, Saban. Huh? Saban, no, not Saban, the other guard, the one that got hurt last year. Uh, Average 25 a game. It's going to be oh, taken in a lottery, probably. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, Aaron Neesmith. Okay, yeah. And, and oh, so, that's like a unicorn. I couldn't even remember the unicorn's name, a lottery pick out of Vanderbilt. <laughs> oh, well, they had one the year before. I mean, he's had four NBA guys in two years, as yeah, bad as I'm they've not, been. I forget Darius. I love Darius Garland's game. I always forget that he went to Vanderbilt. Right? Yeah, yeah. Of course, he got hurt five games in. But what I'm saying is, they knew, I, I think they really knew talent. Some of the guys that were under the radar, like Nee Smith and some of those guys, and they can look at them and say, this guy's really going to be good. Saban Lee was the same way. And and I thought they saw that with Saar. That, that, like I said, they looked at him and said, look, I'm telling you, we need him. He's going to be in the NBA. So, uh, I mean, that, that's what they thought about him. Yeah. Um, okay. Go, from here, we've talked about how Kentucky wanted to add two final pieces in the front court. Um, you know, we talked in depth about who the heck that other guy might be, you know, McCurr maker, potential reclass options last week, really, you know, major, major question marks, you know, next to where it is outside of the obvious, which was 2024 star center, Frank Anslem. Um, but from there, um, this weekend, Evansville forward DeAndre Williams popped out of nowhere, putting UK in his final four to go with Arkansas, Baylor, and Memphis. Now, his mentor and former coach, Kenny Roy, told me that a decision is expected by the end of this week. Um, Travis, how do you think, you know, where do you think Kentucky goes from here uh, to close out this 2020-21 roster? And if you had to, you know, make a, a prediction on which one of the two they add, who would you go with? Uh, like I said earlier, I heard that the plan was for Saar and Anselm that that would be the best pairing and best roster fit managing egos and all that stuff. So I, I think that they're going to round up the class with Frank Anselm as a project big, and I love that addition. High upside, minimum risk adding him to this year's roster now that you have Saar. Yeah. Um, David, real quick, what if you had to make a guess, Is do you think Anselm is that final piece? Yeah, I think so, because I think one thing that Sar does, it gives Calipari uh, less stress in recruiting his post here. You know, Isaiah and um, um, Lance Ware do not have to come out and, and be studs right off the bat. Um, they can kind of develop, which might mean they would be more around for, for another year. And, and then Anselm, you know, you talk about him developing, you could turn around and look at the 2021 team and they could have three returning posts. Maybe that's what Keon Brooks would do. So, um, you know, I think it's it's a lot more comfortable looking at the post situation maybe <laughs> two years than it was looking at this post situation a couple weeks ago. Oh, goodness. Yeah, We so we last week on the show, David, I know you you were busy, couldn't, couldn't jump on with us, but we spent the entire show basically saying, if Anslem is the answer down low for like, you know, as an immediate impact type guy, like, holy crap, we need you to be a difference maker this year. It would have been a nightmare scenario for Kentucky. We said it was, Jack, you know, go for it. I'm sorry. You probably got the same uh, speech from Julius Smith, who was Anslem's um, AAU coach that I got 
and that was uh, he told me a couple of days ago. He said, "Look, we're going to wait. We may wait a couple of weeks." And he says, "Kentucky has no choice but to let us wait because oh. they're out of options." And I think that was like maybe last Thursday night, Friday night, something like that. Whenever the call went down, and I know you talked to him too. But then you turn around by by Saturday, Sunday, and, and then you've got two more trains. You've got one from Evansville, and you've got one from Lake Forest on the market. So that's how quickly having no <laughs> options changed. I'm telling you, man, I was – I, I had a conversation, Travis and I were up till like 11 o'clock the night before we recorded, basically going, you know, because I, I had talked to uh, somebody close to the prolific program that knew him, knew his game, coached him, watched him play, also talked to a parent of, you know, screw it, I'm just, I talked to Jalen Green's dad about what it was like playing. And, I had a baby. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, screw it, whatever. <laughs> Talking to both of them. I was like, I came away thinking, dude, UK screwed. If UK goes, if UK goes this route and needs him to be anything more than a project big, UK is screwed. I mean, they cannot let they they, they cannot force their hand and try to like convince themselves. Oh, maybe we can turn him into something. You know, oh, maybe he's just a dime. No, he is a long term project. And as we said last week. The, how this has unfolded with getting the instant impact guy like Olivier Saar, the one-year guy, this is the perfect situation for for Kentucky to bring in Frank Anslem. This is, if there was one way to bring in a two, three, four-year guy like Frank who is seen as – somebody asked me on, on KSR the other day, they said, how would you compare uh, Frank Anslem to Cliff Omarui right now? And I told them – I think Frank is a year away from being where Cliff is right now. I think he is. I, I think he's not even remotely close yet to being that instant, you know, rebounding, you know, rim running type, you know, just high energy guy off the bench. I don't even think he's ready to be that yet. So for for Kentucky to potentially add him now, given the circumstances, considering that Olivier is already signed, ready to go. I mean, man, that this is the prime opportunity for Kentucky to add Frank Anselm. Say you are, you know, you, we're only going to bring you in in spot minutes, foul trouble, s- situations like that. We want you to come in. We want you to develop under Kenny Payne. We want you to learn this game. We want you to, you know, develop on both ends of the floor, build strength, add muscle, put him in the same, you know, red shirt, not, you know, whether Frank red shirts or not, you know, that same, you know, development process that Jacob Topin's going to go under. Just say, send both of them off into the training facility and say, work until next year. We will, we are thrilled to bring you back next year. We are it's so excited to bring, to, to have you with, with the program. Just not yet. That's the. That Let me ask the both of you situation. this quickly. How, how many times, like on a Sunday, let's say, have you looked ahead and said, "Man, there's not going to be much to write about this week." Take you recruiting. <laughs> I do it all the I time. So there's the nothing. And then by Monday night, you're like begging for mercy. You're like, "How am I going to get all this done?" Oh, I'm telling you, that's exactly where I am, man. This was this was a a much needed. Uh, traffic push on the website let me tell you that that's it's been uh, very 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 nice to to get all of this news especially the today's news um you know with that well, we didn't really talk about deandre williams but uh, travis real quick we, we've been talking back and forth about it i talked to uh, his mentor and head coach uh, back in high school i talked to his trainer i talked to their associate head coach i've talked to a bunch of people about his recruitment heard a lot of really really good things heard he's an awesome kid instant impact player could 
could be a really, really good player at, at, a, at a school. Just don't know which school that is. He's down to those four schools. Um, we've talked a little bit, Travis. Where, where are you leaning right now in his recruitment? Um, like I said earlier, I haven't talked to anybody at Kentucky or around Kentucky about him, but I've talked to people that are really plugged into the recruiting world and his recruitment in general, and they have said that like they don't think it's a good fit for Kentucky. Like what they're he, the person I talked to said that they don't think he's a good fit at Kentucky or at Memphis. That they think he's better fit at Arkansas or Baylor just for what he's wanting to do and what he can bring to the to the team that his skill set isn't really uh, different from guys that Kentucky already has. So I think that he can go somewhere like Arkansas, but um, the must bus can convince <laughs> him that he can play the uh, three slash four combo at six ten, And I think, I think he could thrive there. I think he could thrive in that system. And only thing is, I think he would be a pro this year if he won 23 years old. Yeah, and to think he's planning on going back to another year for another year of school well, to see, get even the older. The thing is, I was reading this other. He's twenty-one as a freshman. Yeah, it's and, <laughs> yeah. I mean, everybody knows a couple of those guys. <laughs> Twenty-year-old high schoolers. I know. I knew a couple of them growing up. Yeah, he's I, one I, of them. I understand it. <laughs> he's he's definitely one of it. Yeah, I, I I talked to his his trainer told me that he's a six foot ten small forward. And I was like, hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, that's, when, when you got his circle trying to push that narrative, uh, I was like, I, "Hmm, yeah. that's not what Kentucky's looking for at all. <laughs> like, not even remotely close." We, you know, Kentucky has all the you know guards and wings they could possibly ask for. You know, not necessarily uh, looking for a six foot ten small forward. Yeah, uh, that just didn't feel like a good fit. Talking to his head coach, Coach Roy, he told me that he he couldn't couldn't have said enough positive things about Kentucky. Said they are the gold standard of college basketball. Said that they're the mecca. You know, hyped him up. Said he, you know, oddly enough, he said Kenny Payne reached out for the first time midway through the week last week via text message. Didn't make the a phone call to. To you know, Co- Coach Roy is the like the lead, the handler in his recruitment. Kind of directs all the phone calls and and makes sure you know DeAndre is not flooded with with texts and calls all the time. But said that for the first time, Kenny Payne reached out on Sunday morning about uh, about you, you know the, his, Kentucky's interest and all that. Then basically said we're gonna talk with with Coach Cal tonight. We want you to have a Zoom meeting with him. Blah 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 blah. And Sunday is when he updated his recruitment, went from not even addressing the fact that Kentucky had, you know, because they hadn't yet. Last week, he had 30 schools reach out to him, and none of them were Kentucky. Then as of Wednesday or sometime midweek, they just send out a, a feeler text. Then as of Sunday was the first method of communication via, you know, voice talking to him on the phone. And from there, he got thrown in the final four of their list, which, I mean, just kind of goes goes to show the level of respect that they have for the Kentucky program, that they could come in literally at the last second and become a finalist, you know, legitimate contender for, for his services. Now, as of, you know, as of now with Olivier, I, I just don't know why you would need another, you know, go-to pure you know, instant impact guy at the four when you have Keon Brooks. I think that he and Keon Brooks are kind of interchangeable. And if you are going to add another guy like that, I think, you know, honestly, Frank isn't the, you know, that is the ideal situation to bring in a long-term guy, you know, considering what you're expecting out of Keon Brooks this year. So, yeah, I I definitely think that that's where Kentucky's going to end things. I think they're going to, you know, turn down or have DeAndre turn them down 
you know, in favor of Arkansas or Baylor. Probably Arkansas, if I had to guess right now. And then, uh, and then go after Frank Anselm to close this thing out and call it a roster. Um, all right, and with that, I want to ask you guys a question real quick before we wrap up. <clears throat> with the addition of Sard, where do you think Kentucky would have been ranked preseason without him, and where do you think they rank now? David, you, you want to go for that first? Um, I'm going to say I'm going to say they'd end up somewhere around 15 or 20 uh, without him. And but, you know, John Calipari and the way he coaches, he's always said if you don't have an in post game, you're a pretender. And you know, that's straight out of his mouth. He's got to have one. I think now, I mean, I think they got to be top five. And yeah. you've got to remember. And everybody thought Harms was going to go to Kentucky, and that was out there. And I remember some national guys putting out the rankings, and they had included Harms in that, and everybody had them in the top five. And then they didn't get Harms, and then I saw some of the same people do new rankings, and they had Kentucky lot number 24 and 22, and, and, and SAR's better than Harms. So if they get SAR, I, I think they – I think they probably go up. Maybe all the way number one. I don't know, but I think definitely up top five, top three. I know. I told you guys both that this team with harms. I thought, you know, because I, I sent I sent you guys this in the group message. Like very early in that recruiting process, I looked up the the per forty numbers and. Harm's numbers were almost identical to Scal's in his first year at Kentucky. In fact, fans that are listening to this, go look up uh, on Basketball Reference. Look up the the comparison between Harm's last year at Purdue and what Scal brought to the table um, in in his lone season at Kentucky. And look how I mean, it was like two, you know, within like point zero one of in terms of points, rebounds, blocks per game, you know, shooting percentage. I mean, it was nuts. I mean, almost identical across the board. And I, I told both of you guys, I was like, man, this roster, even with harms, is almost identical to that that Tyler Eulis, Jamal Murray year where you have the two superstar guards, you know, B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark being those two. You have, you know, the Keon Brooks comparing to like an Alex Poitras. You, you go down the list, the, the, there's a comparison, you know, Cameron Fletcher all the way down to Ch- Charles Matthews on that roster. I mean, the, the comparisons were almost – identical very very bizarre and i was like that is the ceiling for that team with harms it, it almost identical to that that round of 32 team with with tyler Ulis. this team now with with sar i mean I, i'm telling you i i definitely think that they're pushing top five status 100 percent if he does uh get eligible i mean that's that that'd be huge travis did you did you say what you thought they'd end up being no i'm right right in line with you guys i was i them around like 15 to 20 range, like David said, and then I think they're top three now have, and have a strong case for number one. I don't think they'll get the number one ranking, though, just because they're going to be – their best two players are going to be freshmen coming in. But I think that uh, – I think they'll definitely be top five at the least. Yeah. I, I think no matter how it unfolds, if he is eligible, I definitely think that UK has one hell of a title, you know, title contending, final four level team, you know – yet another team under Calipari that is capable of winning it all. Not saying that they're a guarantee or a lock or even, you know, a lock to even get to the final four by any stretch, but they are capable of making a run of of that caliber because they are, uh, I mean, a really, really talented team from top to bottom uh, across the board. Um, With that, I think we've hit it right on the hour mark, so we can call it it quits there. Uh, Travis, where can fans find your work? 
You can find my work alongside David Sisk, <clears throat> excuse me, on uh, Cats Illustrated on the Rivals Network. Still running a two-month free trial over there if you guys want to join and hop on. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at TrapGraph underscore Rivals. And then you can listen to my podcast uh, called the Cat Scan Podcast. Starts with a K, the Power K, actually. And tomorrow we are having a uh, recent Kentucky commit Lavelle Wright on to talk about his his recruitment. And we're having a Wake Forest media member come on and talk about uh, SAR with us, though. So. It's going to be a good episode tomorrow. And David? Uh, Coach David Sisk at Twitter, and uh, I am with uh, Travis with Cats Illustrated. And like I said, I've got Terrence Oglesby. That's my project right now. Who played at Clemson, played uh, uh, in Europe for eight years, and he does media work uh, basketball-wise with Clemson. Got to see a, a lot of SAR, a lot of ACC ball last year, and he broke a uh, pretty good breakdown for me. So we'll have that coming up. Yeah, go go follow their work. Go go subscribe. They do awesome awesome work over at Cats Illustrated. You can find me on Twitter at Jack Pilgrim KSR uh, via email jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com. And with that, we will be back next week for another jam-packed Sources Say podcast. We will see you then. Bye.